How's everybody this morning? You know, I love how the Lord brings comfort through witness. You know what I mean? He lays something on your heart, and then he backs it up with every single song that was sung during worship. You know, um, the word that was spoken during communion, the testimony that was just given. You know what I mean? To bring confirmation to to me especially to bring comfort that what I'm sharing today is his will for this church, you know? I'm not preaching an expositional sermon. I'm preaching topical testimony sermon. This is something that was born out of my flesh with pain and suffering and tears. It's warfare. It's encouragement. And I hope that you come away being a little bit more aware of the battle being astutely more away, aware of the king that you serve and finding comfort here today. So um, I don't know whether we have slides or not, do we? We do. Okay, it would be really awesome if that wasn't up. No, and you just, <laughs> I'm not looking at that. Okay, so the, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that all of this material is all mine. I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying. Some of it's John Piper's, some of it's Dr. Jeremiah, some of it's C.S. Lewis, some of it's Mother Teresa. And I just, you know, brought the things that the Lord has been ministering to me into a word that I could present to you. And I, I decided to name the topic of my sermon today is darkness, the divine absence. So the, um, the, ask yourself this. Though the darkness closes in, still will I praise you? You know, is our worship of God conditional upon our circumstances or how we are feeling in the moment? Um, Simon and Garfunkel penned this song years ago, and you know, it's funny because I've been listening to some old music, and I'm thinking, boy, that music is really, really, like, um, for today as well. But... He, he, they pen this, hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again because a vision softly creeping left its seed while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Um, when God seems silent in our lives, it really is the absence, so we think of the divine. The 16th century mystic John of the Cross describes spiritual desolation as the dark night of the soul. For someone who has walked with the Lord, there is nothing more earth-shattering than feeling the divine absence. Has anyone ever been there before? Maybe some of you are still there right now. And if you haven't been and you're not now, you're going to be someday. You know, when I used to ride a motorcycle, I said there's only two type of motorcycles. The ones that um, have put their bikes down and the ones that haven't yet. And it's kind of the same thing with darkness. If you have not experienced it, it's coming eventually. You know, and I hope that this will help you when your dark night of the soul comes. Many Christian greats have struggled with the dark night of our soul. C.S. Lewis's dark night came um, with the death of his wife, which he penned in the book that he wrote, A Grief Observed. Mother Teresa's dark night began after she founded the Missionaries of Charity and lasted until the end of her life, over 50 years of not feeling divine presence. 
Um, Martin Luther's dark night was described as a terror, feeling that God had turned his back on him once and for all. The darkness caused Luther to doubt his faith, his mission, and the goodness of God. Jesus himself experienced darkness as he wailed in Gethsemane and as he hung on the cross, naked, disfigured from the beatings, bleeding and suffocating to death. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So David cries out in Psalms uh, 13. He says, how long, O God, will you forget me? This is a man that God described as a man after his own heart. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Many of us have been or are in the dark night of our souls. Many of us have lived David's own words, how long, O oh God, when the spiritual silence seems endless. Do you know, I was a very young Christian when I first experienced the dark night of my soul. I mean, I didn't even know scripture and I was already having a dark night of my soul. You know, when I got saved, like the Holy Spirit came on me and I was like on fire for God. So obnoxious, I probably did a lot of damage to the kingdom. And that's the truth. Because I had the spirit, but I didn't know how to use it. And um, like I was all about the feels in my new relationship with the Lord, man. I was like on fire. You know, when it was slow at work, I was working at a bar. My boss says, well, bring a book, you know, and watch a show if it gets too slow. So I brought the Bible and I put on that TN7 or whatever it was back then. And that wasn't exactly what he had in mind. <laughs> but that's what I did, you know. And then all of a sudden, long about a year, year and a half into my relationship with God, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. I felt like my prayers were hitting the ceiling. I felt like I had done something to separate his love from me. I didn't know what the heck was going on, and I went into a complete panic, much like Gracie probably does when she can't see her people. You know what I mean? And this old Christian, she was, do you remember Rose, little Rose in the church? Um, I can't remember what her, her last name was. But for some reason, she really took a liking to me. And I, I, she had me over to her house, and I was like, <laughs> and she just sat on the other side of the table laughing at me. And I'm like, well, this is not what I expected for comfort. <laughs> and she said, well done. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you've come up on the rung of the ladder of faith where God has removed the feelings, and he's teaching you to trust. That was the first dark night of my soul, or desert, as you would say. But that didn't last long. But over the, the four decades that I have walked with the Lord, there has been many desert periods or dark nights. Some of them have lasted for me, the longest was four years, um, where I just kept doing the, doing the work, doing the talk, acting like I felt everything that I was supposed to believe in and just kept pushing through it. The really cool thing that I found about deserts and dark periods is that what you come out with at the end is so worth what you went through in the silence. There is booty. Am I saying that right with my accent? There is booty to be had in the desert, my friends, and you need to remember that. Um, so I want to teach you not to fear the darkness or the, or the desert period, nor stop working for the kingdom when the, when the darkness comes upon you. In Psalms 23, David penned, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is symbolic of God's strength and his perfection. The staff symbolizes the Lord's guidance and his loving kindness. David understood that God's strength and protection, his guidance and loving kindness would lead him through the darkest of times. God leads, I should follow, right? Well, if your whole relationship with God is based upon what you feel, you're going to find yourself standing lost. It's so important for us to know the word of God. And I love that Chad harps on that. But that's something that the Lord had put on my heart a few years ago. My people will perish for a lack of knowledge. People fall to the wayside because they base their whole relationship upon God, with God upon what they feel. David understood that it was God's strength and protection, his guidance and loving kindness that would lead him through the darkest times. Spiritual darkness, when seen as a tool of God, makes room for faith to grow and causes us to become dependent upon the promises of God and his word. My desire here today is to encourage you if and when you find yourself lamenting as David did. Because even the most faithful, focused Christian can encounter periods of depression and spiritual darkness when joy seems just out of reach. And that's a quote from John Piper. And I also just want to throw this caveat in there. I heard about six months ago from a man that, oh, I will probably never know the Lord because I'm, I, have, I have severe mental illness. You know, and he really felt like the mental illness and the medication and stuff that he was on was going to block the God factor. You know what I mean? Well, I just want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. That man a month ago came to Christ in my office when I presented him with the fact that he had the opportunity to be judged by the law or to be judged by grace, God transcended through the mental illness and the medication, and the man got born again. Our God is bigger than depression. Our God is bigger than physical calamity. Our God is bigger than the things that the world presents to us. So one may ask, why does God allow us to suffer in the darkness? It is in the darkness that we what we genuinely believe about God is displayed. God's desire is to purge our souls from sin and self and to produce in us a trust that is unshakable. Now, I want to ask you a question, okay? What do you own of God that nobody can take from you, that you 100% own? What is it? His perfect timing, absolutely. Anything else? Faith, Faith. yeah. Provision, yeah. Love, yeah. Eternal life, yeah. We, total trust, yeah. We own those things. You know, and those, are, that's where God wants us to get from, like, he wants us to stop being a window shopper and move us into owners of something that is very, very valuable. So God proves our heart not for his benefit, but for ours. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10 says this, We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in us the body, in our body, the death of Christ, 
so that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. His victory becomes ours when we own what we believe. Darkness reveals your heart. It allows the fire to be turned up so that the dross in your life will surface. It is the darkness, it is in the darkness that what we truly believe in God or not is seen. As I said, God's desire is to purge our souls from sin and self and to produce in us a trust that is unshakable. I shall not be moved. Psalm 62, 5 and 8 says, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. That is the place that God wants to bring every single one of us from the day we say, yes, I do to God until we go to stand before the Lord sanctified. He wants our faith to be unshakable. God accepts us solely based upon Christ's righteousness, not on ours. It is not our strength, but his truth that causes this unshakability in our lives. It's essential that the seed of faith in our soul, however small it may be in the moment, is real. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You know, we belittle ourselves when our faith shrinks down to the size of a mustard seed. But I'm going to tell you something, church. If you own that mustard seed, you can move mountains. So in James, it says to consider it joy. I just want to just put this out there. I just said this to Lori before church started. Like you guys have seen me preach before. I'm all over the place. Well, if, if, if I sat on my hands and I couldn't walk around, I, I would be silent. <laughs> so you're getting the hands. But James said, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into various trials. The only way to grow in faith is to put your faith to the test. You must place yourself in his hands and let him prove himself faithful. You know, I remember when I was a new Christian, like I knew that I got saved. You know what I mean? And if you had an umbrella and you popped it up and you have all those little ribs in the umbrella, like I had one rib that was totally solid because I truly believed I was saved. All the rest of them were wide open to the, to the weather. So every time a trial would come, I would hide under the I am saved because he's provisional, he's my peace, he's my healer. All the rest of them were empty. You know what I mean? And it's only through the experiences that I've had with God that he has proved himself faithful in those areas and have filled in the ribs of that umbrella. You know what I mean? So now when the rain comes down, I just get a little damp instead of soaked. Faith must be tested in order to grow. Your emotions are the slaves to your thoughts, and you, and you are the slaves to your emotions. What worries you, church, will master you. Our God is a jealous God. He wants all of you fully surrendered to him, not mastered by how you feel. If our faith is based upon feelings, then a bad pizza could send your faith spiraling. It is utterly important that, our doc, in, that in our darkness we remind ourselves through the word and testimony how strong the hand of God is. Even when we have no strength to hold on to him, 
The promise is that he's holding on to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. When God allows you to be tested, I want you to remember these things. He sees you are ready for the testing. He does never bring you into a place of fire if he doesn't think you're going to withhold, you know what I mean, withstand the test. I want you to remember that it is he that leads us through the valleys of darkness for his namesake. I'm going to tell you, when you accept Christ, Ephesians says that you are mocked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've got, we have a cross somewhere embedded in our heads spiritually that says to God that we are his. Do you think he's going to let us fail so that we make him look like a failure and a fool? If your heart really truly is burning towards God, he'll bring you through everything. The other thing I want you to remember is that your spiritual security is based alone on Christ's faithfulness. It never rises nor falls, and it has no degrees. It is. Remember also to rehearse his faithfulness to yourself. Testify to yourself. Testify to others. Remember all that he has done in your life. You know, if you read a journal or anything, like when you begin faith, it always starts with a feeling. I think he might be real. You know what I mean? That very seed of faith that you have at that point is actually given to you by God. Okay, but that faith, which is feeling-based, subjective, has got to move beyond feelings into fact, I trust, which is objective faith. Like I can think this chair is going to hold me, but I don't know if it will until I sit on it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there is a period between subjective faith and objective faith, feeling-based faith versus um, knowing faith, where this big, huge of gap can develop, where you can't see anymore or you're not feeling anymore. But eventually, all the experiences that you've had with God that have caused you to feel a certain way about him will build a bridge over that gap of doubt so that you will remember what he has done, that he is faithful, that he never changes, nor does he sleep, nor does he slumber. You cross over that doubt, and you stand in a new land, and it's a new land of I will not be shaken. It's mature faith. Um, in Revelations 12, 11, it says, And they have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I mean, if you keep a journal of everything that the Lord has done in your life, I call them my little experience tank. You guys have heard me talk about that before. I had this little little bag, spiritual bag, that I used to carry on my side of my hip. And every time I had a spiritual experience, it went in that bag. Well, I have so many experiences now, I have a warehouse. You know what I'm saying? And, and like when I'm getting hit by the enemy or I'm getting hit with doubt or I'm in darkness, I remember those experiences because they were real. You know, nobody can take that from me. Like, I, I have been disillusioned by Christians. I have almost walked out of my faith because of Christians. I became disillusioned with God when I stopped trusting him and judged him instead. Not a good thing to do, okay? But it was my salvation every single time that kept me because I know what God did upon the day of my salvation, and God always brought me back and rebuilt my faith from that foundational truth. The other thing I want you to remember, so we've got, he sees that you're ready to withstand the test. He's the one that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death for his namesake. That your spiritual security is not based in you. 
Remember to rehearse the faithfulness of God and remember this last thing, that Satan's a defeated foe, people. Revelations 12 says, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brethren and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled, where? Down. He has been hurled down. In Romans 5, 5, 3 and 5, it says this, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope never puts us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the contradiction to desire is despair. Has anyone ever been despairing? Anybody ever been despairing spiritually? Yeah. When we feel uncomfortable or lacking in our spirituality, which for me, it's five days out of seven, we often begin the process of trying to self-rescue instead of total surrender. I can figure this out. Like, I'm a tuck and run kind of girl. You know, when I'm going through the thick of it, I just tuck and I run. And then all of a sudden, there's nothing more to run to, and I can't tuck anymore, and that's when I find myself blabbering before the Lord. Why not do that first, save myself a whole bunch of trouble? We pray and we ask God to fill us, but in us, in some of us, there is always a small bit, a piece that we hold back. That contradiction of independence prevents our wills from surrendering to the point of letting God have his way. The reality is, when we, when we are pressed spiritually, often we seek solace from anything but God. Think about that one for a second. When we are pressed spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, oftentimes we will seek solace from anything but God. And I'm not saying, for, I'm not saying that for you to be ashamed because there are times spiritually that we are limping along so bad and we are hurting so bad and we are just despondent in our spirits. And if you can't work it up, you get with someone who can. Don't not come to church because the gathering of the saints, is, it's our faith bed. It's our seed bed. You never know when the church gets together how that is going to ignite a dead faith. John Piper states this, I will pray that you will cease from all efforts to look inside yourself for the rescue that you need. I pray that you will do what only desperate people can do, namely cast yourself on Christ and recognize that he is the one that allowed the darkness. I shake my fist at him more than once around that. You know, this past fall, was, was, uh, I, I went through a period of very profound darkness. Where's the tissues, Lori? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it is, but whenever I get hit, it's never just one thing. It's like this whole barrel full of stuff that gets dumped on me. You know, like I lost my brother. He died in his addiction. Thank you. Two weeks later, my mom died. Um, in, the, in that period, I was in the process of having three knee surgeries, which all... This is why I limp around like this did not work out well. Uh, my husband was diagnosed with, with a pretty severe illness, and my puppy died. All in less than three weeks, seriously. 
And I'm telling you, like, circumstances, like, I know God. You know, like, I know God wasn't doing that to me. Although I wondered about the puppy. But <laughs> because in a, in a moment of spontaneous, I, got a, I had this dream. i just give a little side. I had this dream. And in the dream, I went to the store and got a puppy. And I woke up. I told Dennis I needed to go for a ride. And I went to the store and I got a puppy. <laughs> it was spontaneous. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it was because I didn't ask my husband. I don't know. But she's gone. But I was besat with such a darkness that came over me. And it, and it was like I could not even breathe. You know, and, and a friend of mine says, well, why didn't you call? And I'm like, what could you say that would be a comfort to me? There are no words that can reach where I'm at. Have you ever felt that way before? You know, and as I was in that darkness, and it lasted, it lasted a bit, like, man, it lasted hard. You know, I, I had all the thoughts. I didn't like the feels. It was probably the first time in a long time I thought about taking a drink. I'll be really frank with you to be transparent. I didn't. Um, and it was so overwhelming. And as I was sitting there, I was just crying out to the Lord. And he spoke to my heart. And he said, Karen, I'm in the darkness. He said, the darkness is purposeful because it reveals to you what you really truly believe about me. And he said, don't fear the darkness because the darkness is as light to me because I created the darkness. And you know, I'm going to tell you something that snapped me out of it pretty quickly. And I have to say, if I was a teacher, I would have given my, myself a five star because I didn't have any untruth about Christ in this period of darkness. You know, there was nothing that, that said in my heart that he wasn't faithful, that he didn't care, that he wasn't looking out, that he was this. It was 100%. I was grounded in my faith because of all the experiences that I went through. And slowly but surely, when I realized that it was Christ in the darkness and that the darkness was purposeful, that it lifted so Psalms 139 says, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. And another version says, Because you created the darkness. Psalms 2713 says, I would have despaired. And I can say that. I would have despaired I, I, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In this land, I will see the goodness of the Lord. You know, I work in a very oppressed environment. Portland is so under the gun with oppression. You know, and, and I was leaving there one night, and all kinds of stuff had happened at work, and I'd lost a guy. You know, he died to an overdose. And, like, I'm coming out of Portland. I'm watching the homeless people, and it's just like I could feel this oppression. And I'm like, God, I was just, just calling out his name. And he spoke to my heart. He said, Karen, look up. I am on the throne. Look up. Satan is the prince and the power of this air. You know what I mean? If he can get you to focus on, on him, you're going to be defeated. But if you remember he's a defeated home and God is above it all and he still has a plan and none of this is a surprise to him, keep your eyes on things above is what scripture says. So Christ is our solid rock. There's an old hymn that says, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. 
When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Have you ever felt like you were spiritually free-falling? You know, it's like, man, I've been there more times than you can imagine. And you can pretty much tell when I am, but God's good. He always gets me back on my feet. But David sang this song to God in Psalms. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My rock, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about the parable of the man who built his house upon a rock and a man who built his house upon, a, upon the sand. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Any man who hears these words and puts them into practice. A life built on shifting and changing emotions or worldly virtues or morals is not solid. Just standing on the rock is not enough. We must build. We must build our foundation of truth upon the rock of Jesus Christ, his life, his word, and his attributes. We see the attributes emerge in the metaphor of a rock. It's solid, it's strong, it's protected, it's secure, it's immovable, it's firm, it's enduring. So when you feel like you're free-falling, free ask yourself what your truth is. What are you standing on? What is holding you up? For, for the believer, for us, there is no resting place. We are either moving towards God or we are moving away from him. A lot of times we like to be deceived into thinking, well, I, I remember telling my pastor, I was just a few years old, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to take a spiritual vacation. This is all just too much for me. He sat there and laughed like a hound. <laughs> you know, like, he said, there is no spiritual vacations. You're in or you're out. I'm like, okay, I'm in. But I just wanted a break from it all, you know, because it was all just so overwhelming. Your truth about God is based upon the word in your own personal testimony will be the land beneath your feet. Remember, remember, remember. Write it down. Rehearse it. Talk about it. Remember, remember, remember. Because as the days grow longer, we need to encourage each other with, with what God has done in our lives. And he does different things with each one of us. You know what I mean? We must always remember what he has done actively. Because even Jesus said, blessed are they who believe that have not yet seen. We see in a different way than they did back when Jesus is walking. But if we are silent about what we are seeing, we're not testifying, we're not giving glory to God where glory should be giving, then we are going to be weak. So pain is often very short-sighted. Have you found that? Oh, I get wicked short-sighted in my pain. I get all self-pitying and the only thing I can focus on is my pain and all my braces. Isn't that just beautiful? <laughs> Isaiah 40, 28 says this, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, nor does he grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. My counsel is always saying to me, did you ask God about that? 
hate it when she says that because she's right. You know what I mean? I'm seeking out my own solutions again. I know so much. I'm always so sure how he's going to answer, you know, and I'm always wrong. So pain can have the tendency to make us become very self-absorbed, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. We draw inward and we focus on ourselves. Self-absorption is a tool of the enemy to stop the kingdom's progression in your life and in the lives of others. Have you ever said to yourself, well, when I feel stronger spiritually, I can minister to others? Or my faith is too weak, which speaks of self-dependence versus God-reliance. One of the ways to freedom is to continue to walk and work like you own what you believe, regardless of what you're going through. Jesus hung on the cross in his darkest moments, separated from his father because he carried the sin of the world. While hanging there in that state, all broken and bruised and bloody, he evangelizes the thief beside him and brings him into the kingdom. And then the very last breath out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He intercedes. In his brokenness, in his despondency, in his separation from his father, he still ministered to the people. Why? Because he knew what his truth was and he could not be moved. God allows the darkness to force us to move away from dependence on our own sight to a total dependence on Christ and all of his glory and fullness. So, John 16, says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah, I, I, I really so want to sing that song to you, but half of you wouldn't know it anyway. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Yeah, you know, there's so many of us that think that when we come to Christ, we're going to get this rose garden. Well, hello, there's pests in the rose garden. You know what I mean? Those roses have thorns, and now they have blight. And oh my God, the voles have got them, and you can go on and on and on. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden, but what I did promise you was that I would never leave you nor forsake you, that there would be nowhere that you could go that you could hide from me, that I have planned a place for you in heaven, eternal life. We are going to walk through this world. You'll either walk it alone without God in your life or you're going to walk it with him. And I'm going to tell you the way that world is going out there, I would not want to be seen without Christ as my foundation. So just as Jesus is, so is our security when we placed our faith in him. Because God is the author and the finisher of our faith. When our faith sinks out of sight, remember that it's never out of God's sight. You are never off his radar, ever. It does not matter how far you may feel from him because of sin, because of sickness. You are never off his radar. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows who are his. You his? Then you are known by God. John 10.28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Christ is the ground of our assurance when we cannot see our faith. 
when you are free falling, I'm going to get up. When you are free falling in your faith and you don't know where you're going to land, land on the word of God. You know, there comes a point where you read the word, you know, you're hoping that you get your daily horoscope there, you know, or, you know, you're kind of trying to study through it and hoping something inspires you or whatever. But let me tell you why you read the word, because in the word of God is the true revelation of who he is. And it will always be in opposition to what you think. You know what I mean? So if you are basing your faith and your assuredness on what you think about God versus what you know about God, you are in trouble, especially in these times. You know, God wants us to be strong in our faith. You know, and just like I said, if the only size faith you have is the faith of a mustard seed, and you went before the God, God and you say, God, I, I have this and I own it, his response wouldn't be to slap your hand down and say, come back when you got more than that. He would say, good and faithful servant, because you hung on to that mustard seed and you owned it. And it became a foundational planting, what scripture says, that will hold all the birds of the sky. There is no tree bigger. So I want to finish up with this. Psalms 13, how long, Lord, David cried out, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Oh, David was so melodramatic. Man, you could tell he was a songwriter and a poet. You know, because he like, he dragged you down into the sorrow. And then, and my enemies say, I will overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then he says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What did David own? He owned that God was good to him. That was something that could not be taken from him. So my suggestion for you guys, this is actually an exercise I did one time a few years back. I had my whole box that was given to me from the time I was saved, metaphorically, this huge box. And I think I spent a year with this box of stuff that I had gotten since I got saved. And I pull out this, and I'm like, yeah, no. Pull out this, like, ah, no. Pull out this, yep, that's mine. Pull out this other thing that somebody gave, no. Pulled out another thing, yep, that's mine. So at the end of that time, this whole box of experiences that I had that I thought were mine, there was only a handful of things that I could really own about God. You know, own what you believe. If you own what you believe, it's going to leak out. You know what I mean? Your faith, just by default, casts out the darkness of people who are walking in this world without Christ. You ever have people come up to you, maybe not, or they look at you and say, what's different about you? You know what I mean? They see it. You know, and remember that it's Christ that draws people unto himself, not you. Your job is to just walk. Don't stand walk. Don't hide in your bedrooms when you're not feeling good. Get to church and minister to someone. 
Be active in, in what God has called you to do. How many